I'm sorry. The greatest song ever written. Wizard Holden McNeely. And that's right. And Jake, what are you today? I'm that song in a form of a wizard. Hey, what up, shitheads? It's me, Bad Bats Maru, the fucking penguin (laughs) that'll stab your dog. I'm not like those other characters. I'm real bad. I'm Bad Bats Maru. Ooh, your mama don't want your pencil case with me on it. Ooh, you put change purse, you put your change in my change purse, and I'll steal it. I'll steal everything. I'm Bats Maru. Yeah, I don't want, I hate this in my home. Uh, I'm I'm flushing you down the toilet. Well, the... This awful. I got Karomi pregnant. <laughs> Nobody. I, I. I left town. And of course, you got to know at this point, based on what Jake just did, that we are doing our episode on Hello Kitty today. Yeah, it's a lovely full. I mean, could we have come up with a better reversal from Spooky Month? A palate cleanser after doing Nightmare on Elm Street, the sausage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that good stuff. Uh, it's this has definitely been fun. Come on. I mean, this is our first real. I guess we've done some magical girl stuff, but I mean, this is this we is a, we're going I mean, full we're, kawaii. We're we're definitely uh, kind of blending into a lot of the themes that we talked about in our Barbie episode. Yes, you know, uh, the, it's needless to say, the Wizard and the Bruiser experience is about mining the psychopomp and depths of uh, millennial male boy uh, fucking capitalist franchises of the past yeah, yeah. boner snot yeah, yeah. uh yeah b- b- giant muscles with flames for hands and we've done it we've been there okay it's time to it's time to soften up a little bit and time to talk about some cutesy but shit girls for... spend money too <laughs> and there is no often i greater... might say they spend more money uh even uh de- depending on who you talk you're to. you're thinking like the judy jetson yes. in the uh opening of the jetsons that's what you're thinking um <laughs> But uh, Hello Kitty is this ubiquitous character that has been the flagship of the Sanrio company for as long as I've been alive and as long as lots of people have been alive. But, you know, as famously, it's a character meant to be put on other products. It is not meant to uh, be a... Uh, the lead character of a movie. It is not meant to be the, uh, you know, the protagonist of a series of novels. She has no mouth and she must scream. No, she mustn't. Or must she? That's kind of the the fact that well, like. Depends. It's all in the eye of the beholder. I mean, this is a symbol for whatever, at least according to Sanrio, whatever we want to see in it. Mm-hmm. This is really like a mirror in a lot of ways of, of your internal cuteness. This the Hello Kitty is this just uh it's in the ether man it's it's uh it's all around us the Hello Kitty it's uh, it's it's unable to be put in any kind of box because yes there has been uh several animated series but they're all uh I feel like they're all uh, blasphemy uh, at the end of the day <laughs> you're in a talking certain about because they had a, uh the early ones she had a mouth and it was really upsetting. She's supposed to have no mouth and she must scream. No, no. Oh, my God. The key to Hello Kitty's <laughs> no mouth, like, speaks volumes about, like, so many different things happening in the psyche of just, like, growing up as a woman in the modern era. We'll get to it. We'll get but, there. Uh, Sanrio as a company is fascinating because their main product is at once the IP, these characters, and also their main product is products. The fact that, like, you know, you can buy a a set of cheap ballpoint pens and, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. But all of a sudden, you put a little karopi on that thing, you add some My Melody to that thing, and now it has added value. It has an intrinsic kind of just mythical extra something or other embodied by these characters and you get to take these characters' vibes and carry it with you in your, you know... They're symbolic, there's symbols of of joy and happiness and cuteness 
or in the case of Gudetama, yeah, yeah, (laughs) or yeah, in the case of Gudetama, the uh, in the the inescapable urge to lie buck naked in bed and not do anything all day. Sure, absolutely, you know, but but the fact that we can just slap them on anything, and you kind of can if you want, make your whole personality be Hello Kitty, you know, Mm -hmm. and it also speaks towards you know Hello Kitty definitely. We'll talk about the history of kawaii in Japan, but um, the culture of cuteness in Japan is next level. Yes, and Hello Kitty is like the 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 forefront of that wave. Hello Kitty really kind of in a lot of ways started that wave of kawaii cuteness culture and it's um you know it's it's uh, it's fascinating to learn about. Mm-hmm. I I you know I I've always been very interested in especially because of how explosive that culture has been in America. Mm-hmm. To a degree where I almost think that there's some people out there in this great land who think that they will literally become a cartoon if they travel to Japan. Sanrio core is absolutely a thing. There is, uh, especially as we talked about in the Barbie episode, at a certain point, the uh, the forces acting on like how femininity is presented, how youth is valued, how all of these just intrinsic forces that kind of guide and mold how we see ourselves. A lot of people love surrendering to the cuteness, yes. to the uh, spectacle, to just maximizing the amount of like frill and pink and pearlescent just bliss than surrounding themselves in that world. Because why not? The world is burning. <laughs> like, why not just surround yourself with this shit? Meanwhile, I surround myself with cool anime t-shirts, vinyl figurines, and posters of Spawn uh, looking menacing at stuff. So, you know, I'm normal. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? I just want to see a guy with, like, a, his head off his body just like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> You know, throw a grenade. You know what I mean, and and, <laughs> and that's fine too. But this is a, a sweeter, more more uh, innocent occasion. This Hello Kitty episode, and I'm excited to get into it, especially because I love something that withstands the test of time. Hello Kitty has just been around for so fucking long; it's crazy, and uh, they still continue Sanrio and Co. Still continue to find ways to reinvent her and keep her in modern popular culture. And that's what you got to do, too, by the way. We'll, we'll get to that as well. But you got to have something last long enough so that the kids who loved it grow up and become like mm. famous pop stars and then make their whole like <laughs> aesthetic based in Hello Kitty, you know? Absolutely. It's the fact is that even though we talk about Hello Kitty like a, you know, monolithic juggernaut that's been around forever, it does come and go in waves. Hello Kitty is a survivor. Hello Kitty uh, adapts to the times and comes back stronger than ever uh, with the help of uh, her cadre of uh, of adorable friends uh, who are all equally cute. Some of them um, are bad penguins. Some of them are very handsome, polite penguins. Tuxedo Sam fans, you're <laughs> you're here. You're valid. I see you. Those fans are weird, man. Those guys, I don't I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. All right, they're always. <laughs> They're always try. They're always a little too fancy, you know. In my opinion, mm. um, absolutely. Let's get into it. To speak of Hello Kitty is to speak of the company Sanrio. So let's start there. Let's start with the founding of Sanrio. So a lot of my information is coming from uh, Matt Alt, previous guest on the show's uh, amazing book about like a lot of these culturally significant Japanese exports. It's called Pure Invention, and uh, he starts the story. In 1914, with mm. this uh, Tokyo boutique, again, 1914, this wow. is pre-World War II, called Minato-ya, that specialized in kind of dreamy imports from exotic lands. And it was like a lot of uh, images of like young Japanese women in kimonos, but like in Parisian cafes or like on London streets. And this is very key, I think, to a lot of the bedrock of the kawaii ideal um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, it just means cute. The word cute uh, in English actually is derived from acute, which actually means like shrewd. Like if you were telling someone who's being a smart ass, like, hey, man, don't be cute. That is closer to the original meaning of mm. cute than how we use it now to refer to like teddy bears and babies. But that level of adorable, that like baby like awe, that blissful state of like wanting to nurture and care for something uh, can be described as, you know, as being applied to a person or a baby or or a small creature, or it can be applied to an ideal. Like it can just be like a lifestyle 
that somebody looks at and feels kawaii towards. And so as these like very kind of ethereal West, you know, promises of like Western sophistication kind of intertwined with Japanese culture and a lot of like female focused media, we got into stuff like the shoujo manga craze in the 60s that we talked about and uh, kind of where this like just general yearning amongst uh, Japanese women for a materially secure, less stressful life, especially for a generation that got through World War II, it takes someone like Suji to kind of make it happen because his childhood is fascinating. Yeah, Shintaro Suji, the founder of Sanrio. We, yeah. should, we should establish that. Yeah, for sure. I'll also add on to that. Uh, some attribute the very beginnings of kawaii culture to teens in the 70s who created a cutesy type of handwriting referred to as marui-ji, which is round writing, uh, koneko-ji, which is kitten writing, and boriko-ji, which is fake child writing. Mm. And this involved very curvy line work, hearts, stars, and little cartoon faces, obviously little kitties and stuff too. And this seemed to be the kids' way of rebelling, the teen way of rebelling against the rigidity of post-World War II culture in Japan. In fact, the uh, fake child writing, the Bariko-ji, was banned in most schools wow. uh, at that in the 70s. And uh, however, of course, advertisers were, of course, immediate adopters of the style to try to get it over. Uh, kawaii is uh, also originally derives from the phrase Kauhayushi, which literally means one's face is a glow, commonly used to refer to flushing or blushing of the face. According to Kotaku, the word literally translates to acceptable for affection or possible to love, which I thought was kind of interesting. So, yeah, let's get back over to Shintaro Suji, who first founded the Yamanashi Silk Company in 1960. Okay. So before we get to that, I really think his childhood oh, yeah. kind we, of well, rhymes I, the pun. I was absolutely about to get into that okay. because he, he grew up wealthy, which is great, but lonely, which is bad. And I think a lot of wealthy kids can end up in this situation. Uh, looks like, th- did his father leave or die at a young age? It looks like he was only um, uh, for a while raised by his mother and later his uh a horrible aunt. He barely knew his father. He was raised by his uh, sing- single mother. So I guess, uh, I guess, yeah, there was a death at one point. But his mother was a businesswoman who owned a successful chain of hotels and inns in Yamanashi Prefecture, uh, which is about 80 miles west of Tokyo. So kind of like a resort town kind of thing. Um, and this afforded him the luxury of actually getting sent to a Christian kindergarten for expatriates. It was like kind of a fancy Western-themed school, and it was there that he fell in love with the birthday party. Yes. This was, especially back then, like, the idea of, like, stopping everything and just doting, like, this a singular individual on their special day was unheard of in Japanese society. Yeah, in Japan, they had the ceremony of apologies, where you go around and say you're sorry to everyone. Um, And then, of course, there's the birthday boot, (laughs) where they'd fill a boot with slime and (laughs) kick you with it until all the slime came out of the boot. And then if you were lucky and the slime fell in the shape of a smiley face, you'd have good luck for three days. That is not not how Japanese culture works. (laughs) But he found just this idea of, like, being you know, just singled out and being showered with gifts and praise, like life changing. Uh, He was deeply moved by it. Uh, His mother died of leukemia in 1940 when he was just uh, 13 years old and he was sent to live with his aunt and uncle. By this point, the Japanese war machine was in full swing. Rations were tight. Supplies were tight. And his aunt and uncle made no small uh, uh, secret about how much they resented having another mouth to feed. Uh, I believe this quote is, uh, they rode me constantly. You eat too much. You shit too much. (laughs) Why are you sitting around? Go scrub the toilets. He wrote in his 2000 memoir, These Are Sanrio Secrets. I will say, not for nothing, Winnie does shit way too much. I mean, it's a problem. (laughs) Well, you don't tell the child. So what am I? I Of course I got to berate her for it. I mean, please. (laughs) 
it's not. It's embarrassing. No, Walton. No, I'm not a father, but I feel like you really just like rule number six. I know there's like a bunch of rules before that. Rule number six: do not start a weird shitting uh, hang up with your child no, at an early no, age. No, no, no. I I read in this really good book from the <laughs> 1920s just yesterday mm-hmm. that if they start shitting too much, uh, not only berate them but make them use their own hands as a diaper. Uh, silencing the rebellious butthole by Frederick <laughs> Wortham. We all read it. Yes, you read it too. In preparation for this episode, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Because of the quote. Um, there was also uh, uh, early inspiration in the form of collection cards, which grew in popularity at this time in his life, like cheap, tradable goods that Suji managed to find a community with as a lonely kid. Suji said, it was because of those cards that I was able to make a friend at last. The lesson I learned then has never left me. True happiness comes through friendship. Of course, you have to have your health, and after that, it might be nice to be wealthy or whatever you want, whether it's a politician or a soldier or something else. But for true happiness, you really need to have a good friend. And so the idea of gifts and, you know, from the birthday stuff, the idea of uh, trading, uh, you know, giving someone a, a, a card with a cute picture on it, that sort of thing, really stuck in Suji's mind for many years. Another big influence on what gave Suji the skill set to make Sanrio a global brand happened during his schooling. He was uh, very, very desperate to not enter the war. Uh, smart man. Um, and so he decided to just go to a technical college and learn organic chemistry because uh, doctors and engineers and medical studies really it was like, you got to stay. You didn't have to enter the army if you were doing this necessary knowledge work for the Japanese uh, government. He remembers in 1945, uh, his head professor, a lieutenant commander of the Imperial Navy, sent all the young men to an assembly where they heard Emperor Hirohito's uh, surrender address. He then returned to his classroom to find his professor had shot himself in the head at his desk. Jesus Christ. But even the post-war times were not easy for Japan. There were still lots of shortages. And so Suji took to uh, sneaking into the school lab after hours to synthesize uh, necessary staples like soap, uh, when sugar was in low supply, he would make saccharin artificial sweetener for uh, cooking and for people's drinks. And in a little bit of a, kind of like a, um, you know, a little underground hustle, uh, he uh, for, he distilled hard liquor and sold it to the Yakuza. Fuck yeah. Who uh, distributed it at the black market. Yeah, so he's just learning how to get you know make and sell goods find out what people need and give it to them and make a little profit yeah and then he got a job as a yamanashi prefecture bureaucrat and it's the job was as boring and awful as the title sounds for the record that is a plum position like even when times are tough especially in japan like the stability it is like people will like give their hearts and souls and maybe a lot of bribes and family members to get one of those government positions, especially at that time. It is no small thing that he managed to land that. And uh, any other person, a more sensible person, would have held on to that position until their dying day. But for him, it just wasn't it just wasn't uh, it wasn't Suji. He worked also as a teacher and a commerce worker. None of this was his true calling, but he managed to acquire some capital from local dignitaries to found his own company. And that's how we get back to Yamanashi Silk Company in 1960, founded in uh, Nihonbashi. Uh, the business district of Tokyo, a very bustling part of town, uh, essentially Tokyo's Wall Street. And with this company, he started selling silks in the form of ties and scarves. He also sold local produce and uh, locally produced wine. He, uh, This is how much of a hustler he is. He uh, quit his job and then immediately walked across the street to the office of the governor of Yamanashi Prefecture. Uh, according to Matt Alt's book, he declared a vague desire to go into business for himself and emerged from the meeting with a million yen in venture capital from the city itself. Nice. And so there he kind of was a front man for like, hey, Yamanashi goods, huh? You busy Tokyo guys. Don't you want the cool, clean waters and and and, and relaxing resort feeling? 
buy some silk ties. It's like you have Yamanashi and hanging from your neck. And in 1962, he ended up expanding to rubber, and particularly the sale of rubber sandals. These sandals got a big boost in sales when they chose to paint cute little designs on them, little flowers, and even more so with these strawberry-themed patterns. Uh, pink and red as a color scheme for the company starts to emerge here, this cutesy little look they've got going. The design was definitely cribbed from a uh, girl's fashion illustrator named Rune Naito, who often had very big-eyed, fashionable, like mod-looking gals uh, wearing kerchiefs and other kind of accessories with a very similar strawberry print. Exactly. But... It was, uh, I believe it was a strawberry-themed pair of flip-flops that outsold any other previous product that he had put out. And he realized the power of releasing a commodity product, but with a little thingy on it and making and making it infinitely more popular. Suji said, I wanted to think of a business that would promote friendship. That led to the idea of a gifts business. Gifts make people happy. They didn't stop at cute patterns, though, and found that uh, like cartoon characters were a great seller. And that's when they finally started to offer their line of Rick and Morty bongs. No, Holden, no. <laughs> By the way, have you been watching the new season? I kind of don't mind the new voice actors. It's like No, but I keep smoking out of this Rick and Morty bong <laughs> I got in Detroit. And uh, I couldn't believe how many Rick and Morty bongs were at the smoke shop that you uh, you stepped into, Jake. It's it, the, would, Half of the economy of non-THC certified head shops is Rick and Morty bongs. <laughs> <laughs> or Rick and Morty rolling trays, or Rick and Morty, it's insane. But anyways, yeah, it wasn't Rick and Morty, it was, of course, uh, Snoopy from the Peanuts comic strip that they first licensed. There's an amazing uh, moment uh, where, he, before getting to Snoopy, he was like, all right, I figured it out, so our, our company will be built on things with fruit in it. People love strawberries, get ready for cherries and the cherry line was an abject failure ah, nobody wanted why? those stinky cherries I, Who knows? The, I like cherries no seriously that is half the magic of sanrio is that their company history is littered with failed characters yeah, failed ideas totally. like big unveiling like all right you loved the kitty you loved the bunny you loved the frog get ready for standoffish piece of tuna fish right. and everybody's like no uh, all right, what about enthusiastic piece of salmon? And people are like, yeah, <laughs> like they're throwing spaghetti at a wall, totally. which has nothing to do with their other failed character, Spaghetti Coon, yeah, who was a sentient piece of spaghetti <laughs> stuck to a wall. There you go. It was weird. It was just cre creepy. The googly eyes on that thing made me upset. He but, was supposed uh, to represent like a yearning for adventure <laughs> and culinary appreciation, and it just, just did not work. translate in the form of pencil <laughs> cases. Uh, so yes, they initially licensed Snoopy and the white dog is a big hit for the company and really, really pushed them forward, making them lots and lots of money. Uh, and in 1969, Sanrio Greetings was established, which focused on putting characters and designs on cute gift items. And this was clearly the way forward for the company. In 1973, they fully changed the company name from Yamanashi Silk Company to Sanrio. Now, the etymology of Sanrio is interesting. Yes, let's talk Suji about it. Suji claims he wanted a more international and exotic thing. So, like, if we're talking about San Diego, uh, San Rio is like sainted river, holy river. And that is, you know, from dreams and from ideas and emotions, we flow into your lives like a, like a river. There's also a kind of funny thing where if you kind of transliterate the words of Yamanashi, it can, like, be read as San Ru. And then the O suffix uh, sounds kind of like man or king. So in a kind of double entendre, Sanrio can mean holy river or in Japanese, uh, the Lord of Yamanashi, maybe referring to Suji himself. I also uh, saw the O meaning to symbolize the sound someone makes when they're excited. You know, their O face. Okay. O, O, O. So you mentioned Suji <laughs> had success with Peanuts merchandise. Uh, you know, the Peanuts characters themselves were their own kind of aesthetic revolution at the time, at once being kind of cute and adorable, but also kind of... Uh, uh, translating a little bit of ennui and darkness and sadness in their own right. Is this like one of the first instances of a Western, like, 
figurehead or, or a Western like symbol or cartoon or something kind of invading Japan? I mean, no, there was like Mickey Mouse and stuff. But oh yeah, I guess there's Mickey, right? Yeah. But Peanuts definitely worked. Um, uh, Suji also got the rights to import Barbie dolls into Japan, mm. which is ironic because they were made in Japan at the time. But between all the costs involved of re-importing the dolls back to Japan, they just could not compete on price with uh, locally produced dolls. But it still it, it highlights the same thing as uh, the Peanuts thing, which is you're making these products and just a massive chunk of your profits are getting lost in licensing fees. Mm -hmm. They had moderate success with original characters, including a cat, although not Hello Kitty. I believe it's... Uh, what was the name of this character? It was uh, Mitan. In 1965, they sold ceramic figurines that sold well, uh, but they kind of lost the thread once the Peanuts deal kind of became their uh, their head moneymaker. But uh, it really, and eventually, Suji really got, like, got the idea, like, we can't just pay out for other characters. We need to find something of our own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As Suji said, to prevent imitators, our principle was to get copyrights. A patent lasted for 15 years, now 20 years, but copyright lasted for 50. And so for this new character they needed to come up with, Suji became his own marketing research division by going to his son's elementary school and showing the kids pictures from an animal book. He said, dogs actually came in number one. Next came cats, white cats. Then it was bears, then giraffes, lions, and various wild animals. Next, I tried fish. No good. Whales and dolphins. There was some interest there, but not that much. Next, I tried birds. Nothing. <laughs> birds didn't do it at all. Although I did notice a tiny bit of interest in the owl and the penguin. Mm -hmm. After that, I tried insects. Nothing. Butterflies, no good. Bees, no good. Ladybugs, no good. Jump if surprise. it doesn't have a spinal cord, I don't fuck with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, is what the children literally said at the time. They actually used the Japanese word for fuck. <laughs> and then one of the boys stood up and said, boys have penises, girls have vaginas. And then uh, Suji responded to that with, it's a Tumor. <laughs> 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 All right. Anyway, actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger says it's not a tumor in the movie, but whatever. I'm changing it up for uh, for funsies. Uh, well, unfortunately, dogs were already out, though. Their number one choice because Snoopy. They couldn't just like make another Snoopy. So they made a cat version of Sno Snoopy. No, next on the list was white cats. And so the uh, character was designed in 1973. The design approach featured three characteristics, Suji said. The first is kawaii, cuteness, so she is loved by everyone. The second is her ribbon. A ribbon is something that joins people together, so it means friendship. The third is that Kitty-chan has no mouth, and she must scream, is what I added in. She has to take your hand and help you. Cuteness, friendship, helping each other. That is Kitty's message. About the mouth thing from current Hello Kitty designer Yuko Yamaguchi, who we're going to talk about a lot more in just a little bit. Uh, she said, it's so that people who look at her can project their own feelings onto her face because she has an expressionless face. Kitty looks happy when people are happy. She looks sad when people are sad. For this psychological reason, we thought she shouldn't be tied to any emotion. And that's why she doesn't have a mouth and must scream. Mm. Uh, anything else you want to add to the mouth thing before we move on? No, it definitely adds to the mystique of the character, the quiet blank expression. While unsettling in the form of Funko Pops, uh, I find incredibly uh, interesting in the form of Hello Kitty. Because, you know, if it's just a smile, it's a one note thing. You like you said, you project so much onto Hello Kitty the blank expression can be like a serene calm or a maddening need to like scream and shout being barely bottled up. It's so much is contained in that blank expression. I didn't mention the designer yet, by the way. It's Yuko Shimizu is who Suji uh, got to design that initial Hello Kitty, by the way. So at the time, um, Sanrio was actually their moneymaker was actually the characters Patty and Jimmy who were a boyfriend and girlfriend with blonde hair based out of Kansas City, and they represented another kind of Western uh, idleness and ease that was served as a entrancing escape, you know, from the more heavier expectations of Japanese life. Shimizu was uh, kind of working within that 
paradigm because the Patty and Jimmy also have very simple faces. Uh, she drew just a, I th- okay, in this interview with uh, Strawberry News, which is Sanrio's like self-published magazine about how propaganda, good yeah. I like to cause Sanrio's propaganda mm-hmm. journal. What I was thinking was, wouldn't it be really fun if one of these cats could talk like a person, lick ice cream like a person, or go shopping like a person? She made two simple drawings uh, of a kitten drinking milk from a straw, one a front view, one a side view. And she started showing the drawings to her assistant. She pointed to it and immediately screamed, this is it. This is kawaii. And uh, Suji actually didn't like it. He says, I thought it was okay. He often confesses in interviews. Uh, She wouldn't actually debut until 1975 when the cat turned out to be the best-selling variation of a line of vinyl coin purses. This is the famous first Hello Kitty item. It is a translucent a uh, little change purse with a metal clasp. And there is Hello Kitty sitting in sideways, looking towards the viewer with a bottle of milk and a straw and with the simple word hello over it. Quickly, she had to come up with a backstory for the cat. She named her Kitty after the name of the uh, protagonist pet cat in Alice in Wonderland. And oddly enough, uh, Shimizu didn't actually get to see the success of uh, her character she actually left uh, Sanrio a year before the item premiered, uh-huh. uh, getting married to start a family. And it was up to her assistant to like kind of just keep a, a, Setsuko Yonekubo, yes. who uh, literally had to photocopy some of the original drawings line works to keep things consistent. Yeah, yeah. So it's 1975 is when Hello Kitty makes the first appearance. Uh, but Yuko Shimizu designed the character in, I believe, 74, maybe the end of 73. Mm-hmm. This character's like immediately, uh, pretty pretty quickly a hit. Uh, you mentioned Alice in Wonderland just now. Mm-hmm. That is part of the fascination with British culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that book was so popular in Japan. And that is why they give Hello Kitty this British origin initially, uh, is because at that time... Britain was like a fairy tale place mm-hmm. to the Japanese people. Like it was this, and it makes sense too. Like also the fashion at that time is like mod, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a very cutesy, like really adaptable to Japan style of dress. Uh, Alice in Wonderland is uh, Lewis Carroll's, you know, book. Like is so is so free flowing in the way that we would get later on with like anime and manga and stuff like that, or even currently a little bit because it's nineteen seventy five. And just the whole the whole place to them seemed like this, you know, kind of like how maybe Paris seems to America sometimes, to mm-hmm. a lot of Americans, as this, like, romance capital where you go and everyone's in love and, you know, and it's all, but it's that's that's all not exactly the case. So, yeah, and, and the British invasion, of course, with the music was happening towards the West and everything, so that was probably coming through as well. So, yeah, so that is why a lot of people uh, are uh, scratch the old head when it comes to why is Hello Kitty have a British origin, but that is that is the explanation. It was very much of its time. And, and, and again, that's what you have to realize with Hello Kitty is, like, everything they do with Hello Kitty is based on what they think the kids are into mm-hmm. at the time. So if all the kids are really into Britain... Hello Kitty is from Britain, and that's that's uh, that's the the beginning and end of it. But and, Hello and Kitty specifically lives in a nice house, uh-huh. lives with their whole family, who's always present. The house has lots of greenery around it, and Hello Kitty, you know, plays piano and is cultured. Piano and- is was also specifically at that time incredibly popular with like the youth, mm. and everybody was learning how to play piano in Japan at that time. So they, of course, had to make her a pianist. They don't. You know, they don't at this time, at least they don't tack on a lot to her story. But those few little tidbits about her uh, are all because of what is hugely popular with youth in in Japan at that time. And, you know, Sanrio's going strong with uh, they also unveiled the character My Melody, which is a rabbit in a red hood with a flower on its ear. Uh, My Melody does have a mouth. And My Melody uh, appeals more to the girly girls, while Hello Kitty in her overalls is kind of more of a childlike character. And just the the marketing thing of just having these cartoon characters that represent dreams and ideals and goals and just like a lifestyle and color and just youthful appeal on the kind of trappings of 
Japanese school life. Your yeah, your your stationery, your your backpack, your clothes, your just everything in a you know a pretty oppressive setting just gives you just a breath of fresh air. Like I, God, I loved. Uh, what was it? They were like, shit, I'm going to lose my mind not remembering it. They were like modern pencils. They were like crazy ass pencils with like funky erasers and holographic colors. I lost my mind for those just for like any sensory stimulation yeah. happening at school. Yes. Well, I always talk about my Super Mario Bros. watch. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to change my whole life. And I was like, finally, I can play Mario in class. I'll never be bored again. And of course, it was horrible. And- yikes. The yikes pencils. Nice. Oh, I lived for those. I love it. So, yeah, but the character popularity does start to wane by the end of the 70s as Setsuko Yonekubo is just kind of holding up uh, the fort uh, for the future designer that was going to come in. And as uh, Jake describes her, she really is like the Stan Lee of Hello Kitty. That's right. We're talking about Yuko Yamaguchi, who has been lead designer of Hello Kitty since 1980. Yamaguchi got an education in industrial design at the Joshibi University of Art and Design uh, before joining Sanrio in 1978. Yamaguchi said, at the end of the 70s, Hello Kitty wasn't selling much, and Sanrio's biggest sellers were the little twin sisters, Kiki and Lala. I was actually a fan of Kiki and Lala. At the time, I had just joined Sanrio, and I belonged to a group that developed so-called non-character designs, such as logos and heart patterns that were uh, aimed more at adults. I was not engaged in character design. It was then that the second Hello Kitty designer quit, and it seemed as though Hello Kitty might also go. A lot of Hello Kitty products were being discontinued then, and the company president, Suji, was apparently concerned, saying, if we leave her like this, Hello Kitty will be lost. (laughs) Part of that is because the concept behind Hello Kitty was that she was the symbol of friendship. Because Suji was determined not to discontinue the character, he held a contest at the company in which a few designers were chosen to create a new Hello Kitty. Yamaguchi also said, I think a lot of other designers at the time were trying out various things. For me, I just remember having a lot of questions about Hello Kitty. In addition to the concept of her being the symbol of friendship, part of Hello Kitty's story was that her dream was to become a pianist. But then I thought, why aren't there any pictures of her playing a piano? So thinking it would be good for her to have a grand piano in her house if she wanted to be a pianist, I drew a picture. The picture showed Hello Kitty's story, but also depicted family love. Her dad buys her a grand piano, and Hello Kitty is grateful from the bottom of her heart. I think that she would gingerly touch the keys of this grand piano she was seeing for the first time in her life. And watching nearby, Mimi would definitely look extremely jealous. For the third designer's selection, I gave a presentation on that story. And this is how Yamaguchi ends up beating out her competitors because she realizes not just about aesthetics. It's not just about the illustration. It's about the story behind the character. Yamaguchi said, in order to keep doing character design, I think you have to create a story for that character and continue adding new characters within that story. I think it's because of that that they said, you do the Hello Kitty design. And another thing that Yamaguchi brings to the table, something that Suji did when he first started out uh, in Sanrio, She's a master observer of current trends. I try to see everything. I look at what fashion houses do, read magazines, record films and TV programs, see everything with high ratings with my own eyes. In short, everything. Also, I am an ardent collector. It is a pretty scary hobby. The amount of money I spend on it can get out of hand. My recent favorites are vintage Blythe dolls, and I have about 200. She only has one Hello Kitty doll in her house, by the way, and the kitty that she has, the version of Hello Kitty, is always sleeping. Mm. Because she says if she had awake Hello Kitty staring at her, they would be constantly in her head beckoning her to get her ass back to work. And she didn't want that in her own house, which I think is kind of magical and fun. Yuko's work definitely gave Hello Kitty more activities, uh, more varieties in outfits. Uh, Hello Kitty was accompanied previously in the 70s with usually monochrome backgrounds. And now there were like all these fun, fashionable patterns that would accompany the character. It definitely, it was under uh, Yuko's guidance that Hello Kitty stayed more relevant within the greater uh, Sanrio catalog. Of course, this, as we're talking, you know, lots of different characters are being tested and released, um, including in 1986, Yuko uh, had a little bit of a whoopsie doodle with the characters Sambo and Hannah. 
which were just straight up uh, racist portrayals oh, of no. uh, tropical islanders that uh, definitely laid into the Mr. Popo uh, visual right, tradition. Right. I'm going to say very Mr. Popo Islander vibes. Oh, they don't know, you know. I mean, they don't know, right? Sanrio quickly know. shelved the characters and apologized and sponsored programs to deliver toys to underprivileged youths <laughs> in America. Nice. Speaking of America, during this time in the 80s, Sanrio is making a big push in America to kind of break the character through because they're finding success in China, in Korea, in all over East Asia. And they know that like, you know, that the biggest market in the world is just a hop skip across the ocean. And one of the things they start doing is creating these uh, Sanrio gift centers in malls all over America. And it is tough going. The American audience truly, truly does not understand that this is not a character from a TV show or a movie or a comic book. The idea that like, it's Hello Kitty. Who is Hello Kitty? Uh... She's a British child <laughs> who's also a cat. Why doesn't she have a mouth? We thought it would speak to the uh, the silent horrors of girlhood. <laughs> because she must scream. <laughs> um, a lot of employees, this is, I'm cribbing from the uh, Netflix Toys That Made Us episode. Uh, we're d down to going door to door trying to sell the products. Warehouses full of things that they just couldn't sell. But the character was resonating with Asian girls living in America, where we're still in the 80s and early 90s, where, you know, if you had kimchi in your lunchbox, they'd call you the stinky kid. <laughs> you felt out of sorts with maybe a recent immigrant parents. You're trying to bridge this divide. And Hello Kitty immediately became this mascot icon for the American, Asian American experience. And uh, it's a huge reason why to this day, Asian creatives, Asian fashion designers, Asian American uh, musicians all really gravitate towards the character as a symbol of identity and aspiration. Well, it's funny in hindsight, too, because every mall now has the, like, cutesy, plushy, not even necessarily the Sanrio shop. It's just, like, the cutesy, Kawhi like, Japanese literally, plushy, kawaii shop. Yeah. Like, I go to it every time. Is like, uh, Winnie, I always get Winnie a cute stuffy from there every time I take her to the mall, you know, because it's like, it's perfect. We were just in Detroit and we made a stop to the yes. Kauai shop and I bought little hats for my cat. Yeah, it's every mall now has it. I do want to return a little bit to Yuko's uh, story of like bringing Hello Kitty back into prominence. While this is going on in the West, Yuko realizes like, if she's gonna bring this character back to prominence, she needs to again, just like Suji did, when he first developed this character, do her own market research. Yamaguchi said, but I felt too shy to visit the stores directly and speak to the fans, so I struggled over how best to interact with them. Then one day, I saw a new singer passing out flyers on her own to promote her album, and I thought, I want to do that too. Thinking that I could draw pictures myself and pass them out at stores to advertise while also getting, to touch with, uh, getting in touch with customers, I made requests with the managers of each Sanrio shop. Back then, Sanrio shops were mostly one-floor street shops, and doing it inside the shop would disrupt business. So I worked in front of the store. I passed out drawings of Hello Kitty and asked, did you buy any Hello Kitty merchandise? When there were fans who weren't going for Hello Kitty anymore, I asked them directly, why did you stop buying her? And the feedback at the time was, Hello Kitty was always wearing the same outfit, and it wasn't stylish. All she did was stand or sit sideways. The colors were too bold. Her ears looked like horns, and it was too harsh. As I listened to these tough criticisms, I was nodding along like, that's true, that's true. So she then went about removing the harshness from the character's design, first by removing the black outline, and studied the plushy toy version of her, which was more huggable and soft, and she redrew Hello Kitty like the plushy toy. Uh, Yamaguchi then worked to expand Hello Kitty's story. It's fertile ground. There's no comic strip or, or any pre-existing media, so she could really run with a lot. Yamaguchi said, I also wanted to make everyone think that Hello Kitty was just like them. I wanted to make them feel close to her. To do that, I first needed to have her do the same things they were doing. I think the backstory from when the character was first created about her wanting to become a pianist 
was probably because everyone was playing piano at the time. Her being from London was because girls adored England. But as several years had passed since her creation and the times had changed, no one would be interested in that dream. If it was out of date, I think it's necessary to look into what is currently popular and make changes that fit that. At the time, teddy bears were super in, so Hello Kitty started collecting them. Things like that. And it really, really worked out for her and the character. Yamaguchi is brilliant, in other words. Yamaguchi, like, all this work that she did that she did not need to do, you know? I mean, she could have just, like, collected some money just continuing to pump out the character in this one kind of way. But she really got hit the streets Mm -hmm. and really got like the knowledge from the kids. And that's really what you have to do to keep a character popular. I mean, she's like proto, you know, influencer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like she's, she's constantly, it's, she's never living in the past. It's constantly what is happening in the now and what is about to hit as a trend. And that's where she lives in her head. Throughout the 80s, uh, Hello Kitty is joined by other characters such as Karopi the Frog, my personal favorite. Karopi. Karo Karo is like the onomatopoeia in Japanese for Ribbit Ribbit. Uh, I just love his vibe. I just love a little frog man. I love his little pointy smile. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of love for Kurobi, yeah. right? I think he gets a lot of love. Yeah, yeah. Pachaco, the uh, cute dog who's also has, it's basically if Hello Kitty and Snoopy had a bastard love child. And uh, the 90s, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, no disrespect to Hangyodon, the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon looking guy. Uh, everybody loves Hangyodon. There's also what Dear Daniel, Hello Kitty's childhood oh, friend and her boyfriend. I mean, it's it's to be determined if Dear Daniel uh, is the boyfriend or not. But people got mad. I think Dear Daniel was came around in 1999, and uh, there were apparently like a couple of riots even when people unveiled him. By riots, I mean why? Why? Because uh, Hello Kitty is an idol. She is a, you know, a perpetual... Well, apparently, I, I have it here that Yamaguchi introduced Daniel when idols in Japan started uh, started to own up to having boyfriends. Right, people hated that. Yeah, yeah. People... <laughs> um, so, by the... T- oh, Choco Cat, can't talk about, gotta love... T- and Bats Maru. Of course. The, uh, the, the first evil <laughs> Sanrio character. <laughs> the 90s were kind of... Uh, where, you know, uh, Hello Kitty and the rest of the friends, uh, Pompuririn, the do- the golden retriever that is also Pudding, uh, was also uh, so very popular. With a little bur- wears a little beret. He wears a little beret. And there's a tons of other characters, Usahana, um, the Rainbow Bunny, uh, tons of like variations on Hello Kitty that have their own lore. My Sweet Piano, the Sheep. <laughs> we also have to mention Hello Kitty owns a cat. Oh, I mean, Charmy. <laughs> Charmy Kitty came around in the 2000s. Charmy Kitty has Hello Kitty's face, but walks on all fours and is fluffier. And it is very upsetting. I will agree it's upsetting, but it, we're following uh, goofy uh, Pluto rules here. Just because someone is an anthropomorphized animal doesn't exclude the fact that there are normal animals in the world. But this is one thing a lot, especially Americans, seem to have a really hard time wrapping their heads around is the idea of like whether or not Hello Kitty is a person or a cat. But because didn't they say like, no, it's a little girl, but it was a so translation issue, you said. I, this was a big deal back when I was working at Dorkley. So this must have been sometime in the 2010s. But yes, there was a rash of news reports that uh, a Sanrio official had confirmed that uh, Hello Kitty is not a cat. That was the big headline. She is a girl who lives in Britain with her family. And this made people freak out. There was like, we drew a fucked, an edgy comic where like, hello, where like a girl like put a cat's face on her face. And it's like, I'm a little girl. Like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Sanrio officials had to clarify and said, no, what we were trying to communicate and it got lost in translation is that Hello Kitty is an anthropomorphized cat who lives as as a little girl in Britain. It is within the cartoon universe. We are not saying she is human. Mm. That is not what we were intending. But that that's still like people will still jokingly refer to Hello Kitty as, oh, the normal British girl. Yeah, yeah. Just because that thing went viral back in the day. Just as a side note, tons of Sanrio characters outrank uh, Hello Kitty these days yeah. in popularity. Uh, Cinema Roll, the soft, like, teal uh, 
I guess it's a dog. It flies is really popular. It won number one on the 2023 popularity results. Palm Paririn, the beret pudding dog. Pachaco even ranks higher than uh, a Hello Kitty. But it's Karomi is uh, the dark and like the goth witchy antagonist with a skull on her hood, who's kind of a evil version of my melody is all over the place yeah, in the 2020s. Totally. People love Karomi. She first appeared in a My Melody anime series. She has a evil tapir assistant. Even though in America, thanks to the Netflix series, people love Agretsuko. Love Agretsuko, who is, as yeah. We all, I, I think it's uh, Agretsuko is brilliant. Uh, Agretsuko only ranks 37 in the 2023 popularity poll. So in Japan, she's not as literally Dear Daniel and Charmy Kitty outrank Agretsuko in Japan, which I find hilarious. I will say too, yeah, Yamaguchi blames this on the fact that uh, like Hello Kitty fans just assume everyone are, are else voted for Hello Kitty, so they mm. don't vote. And she's like, I'm trying to convince the Hello Kitty fans to fucking vote. Stop the steal. Yeah, stop, exactly. <laughs> she she blames it on that on on voter lethargy because they're just like, mm. yeah, it's Hello Kitty, of course. Who's not going to vote for Hello Kitty? Well, apparently people are not voting for Hello Kitty, but still the character is now on such another level. I mean, you've had, well, first of all, let's talk about uh, the animated series that have come out. Uh, once the character became popular, of course, it's a no-brainer to pump out anime ser animated series. You've got uh, Hello Kitty's Furry Tale Theater in 1987. That was the first one. Then Hello Kitty and Friends in the late 80s and early 90s. Yuko claims she fought tooth and nail to not let the character have a mouth in that series. And I remember watching the localized version as a little kid and being upset yeah, that Hello Kitty talked and had a mouth. It like throws you off for sure. It's it's weird. Hello Kitty is one of the few characters that really should only exist in illustration form, in like greeting card form. There's just It's never really applied very well. There was a show that never happened that I really, really wish had. Uh, there was that was called Kiss Hello Kitty. There was a mashup of Hello Kitty and the band Kiss. It was based on a clothing line that came out in 2010 called Kiss Cross Hello Kitty, and it was to be executive produced by Gene Simmons himself for the Hub Network. Mm. Uh, however, this never came to fruition, but that would have been interesting. Senrio later moved over to YouTube with a CGI Hello Kitty vlog that was the character speaking to camera about her life starting in 2018 and also a 2d animated series in 2020 titled hello kitty and friends super cute adventures but obviously like we would we would spend more time on animated animation stuff if if uh that was really the reason for the season but really it's not you mean we don't we're not going to be able to talk about uh sanrio boys the uh 2015 concept that had Italian manga, anime, and smartphone game about uh handsome high school boys that were personifications of the and Rio characters. I mean, I'll definitely talk we don't get to talk about I'll that. definitely talk about video games because there's a shit ton of them, starting with Hello Kitty no Hana Batake in nineteen ninety-two, a platformer for the Famicom. There was even an MMORPG in two thousand nine on the PC titled Hello Kitty Online. In this game, players fought monsters, social mind for ore and performed chores like farming and cooking uh hello kitty cruisers released in 2014 on the wii u and switch it was actually not a kart racer like one might expect it was instead a hello kitty swinger game where I'm the sorry, player what? tries to bang out as many cute humanoid i, I don't think I, this my notes, is, Jake. I don't cute think humanoid animal characters before they passed out covered in god knows how many bodily secretions uh so there you go there you have it for, for games hello kitty also uh made gaming headlines with the release of the apple arcade uh ios game Hello Kitty Island Adventure, which is basically a Animal Crossing ripoff starring uh, Sanrio characters. But it was noteworthy because the title Hello Kitty Island Adventure was a punchline in the uh, South Park World of Warcraft episode back in the day huh. where Butters was like, oh, gee, fellas, I just been playing Hello Kitty Island Adventure. That's fun. Yeah. I like. I mean, I, I don't know if there's any. Are there any stand out games? I don't think so. Right? I mean, Hello Kitty really just exists on 
stationary and coin purses. Hello Kitty Island Adventure apparently is a very good cozy game if you have gotcha. an iOS device. Gotcha. People seem to really enjoy it. Well, another big thing for Hello Kitty that's kept her up and running all this time has definitely been crossing over with other popular, you know, IPs and mm-hmm. celebrities and stuff like that because that's really the important thing is like once you uh, are are in popularity long enough, you eventually finally be, get hit this like new layer where you're also nostalgic and you're also like, it's like, oh, cool. Like, you know, bringing trends back, right? Mm-hmm. is always a thing with fashion and, and these sorts of things. So the band Kiss is just the tip of the iceberg. As, San, as Sanrio realized, a great way to market Kitty was with collabs with other popular mainstays. Currently on the website, you can get crossover items with other fashion brands, including Crocs, Igloo, and Kipling, among many others. There's also Kitty crossing over with popular stuff in media. We got to talk about Attack on Titan and Gundam crossover. For Hello Kitty. <laughs> Just Google it. It's amazing. You got the Hello Kitty version of like the initial, the original Gundam uh, uh, mecha, uh, all that kind of stuff. I, the Attack on Titan thing is insane. It's very fun, though. Uh, there's Hello Kitty uh, Beyblades. There's Hello Kitty official skins on Fall Guys. You know, Hello Kitty is not shy about crossing over. There was a Hello Kitty slash Tetris crossover game released in 2019. Of course, Hello Kitty appears on Ready Player in the movie Ready Player One. Uh, there was a Splatoon 2 Splatfest with Hello Kitty. I'm definitely not looking at a wiki list as I'm speaking. How dare you imply that? I mean, then there's also like the the products are crazy. Like Hello Kitty, what, cruise ships. It's always fun to look up the Hello Kitty like guns that are out there. Those are not obviously Sanrio sponsored. There was an officially licensed Hello Kitty shoulder massager, which yes. was a vibrating wand yes. with Hello Kitty on it. Uh, you know, do what you will with that. Uh, masturbate with it is what you will. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know what? Now that I say it out loud, yeah, that is what you would do. That's with that. that's what you would do with that. There's also a Hello Kitty branded Rick and Morty bong, no! which is crazy. I don't even understand that. Is that is unlicensed, and <laughs> I personally commissioned that from Bong Lord XOXO. <laughs> oh, Bong Lord, man, Etsy. I love that guy, dude. <laughs> He's fucking. Oh man, I love watching Dragon Ball with that dude. The things that man can do with borosilicate will get you fucked up. It's crazy, man. Man, he hates his life. I love it. Hello Kitty uh, <laughs> definitely came, I feel like, reached maximum exposure during the 2000s Harajuku fashion moment that we all had. Yes. Um, you know, this was a famous uh, train station in Tokyo where people would gather and share their uh, gothic Lolita fashions, otaku-inspired fashions, and yes, hyper kawaii maximalist crazy amounts of beads and and accessories and bright colorful dresses crazy hairstyles a lot of them incorporating hello kitty as kind of at once an ironic depiction of girlhood and a genuine appreciation for the character uh that then got bootlegged by a lot of uh western artists famously gwen stefani with her Harajuku girls, as well as, we gotta talk about it, in 2014, Avril Lavigne released a song called Hello Kitty. The music video That's not exactly, like, that was kind of laughed at. Like, that wasn't like, oh, wow, Hello Kitty's in the music Well, I appreciate it now. And and Dorkley probably, again, bringing up them, probably went to town on that when that dropped, right? There is an unfortunate Shane Dawson video where, like, he ends up becoming more racist and horrible than uh, even like the borderline, like the arguments you could have made against Avril Lavigne. Don't watch that. <laughs> that is actually horrifying to with to, to actually behold. But the Hello like she has like the uh, the nondescript clone Japanese backup dancers like Gwen Stefani. She's like eating sushi and giggling and clapping. It's very silly. I believe one of the lyrics, uh, someone throw a cupcake at me. Uh, really highlights like what Japanese femininity uh, kind of meant in the uh, mindscape of uh, Western women to a lot to a big degree. And it is very sweet. Like Yamaguchi ends up actually getting to work with Lady Gaga and the Hilton sisters as well. Oh, Paris Hilton. Uh, Hello Kitty is almost an unofficial mascot for yeah. Paris Hilton. She's, she talks, she's in that um, Toys That Made Us episode talking about how much that little Sanrio shop at the mall like changed her life when she was younger and how much it means to her, you know? And I, I think that's really awesome. And 
And uh, yeah, these can be uh, challenging to find the right balance, as Yamaguchi explains with her collaboration uh, she did with the Sadako horror films. Mm. Uh, this is a series of, of The J- Ring. The, ra- the, the yeah. well girl from The Ring is Sadako. Yamaguchi said, when it gets designed, if it's not cute, it gets cut. Depending on the collaboration, the designs get redone over and over and over again. I was involved in the Sadako collaboration as a supervisor. I felt that if Sadako wasn't scary and Hello Kitty wasn't cute, there would be no point. And I don't remember how many times it was redone. So that's kind of fascinating to me for sure. Like figure out that balance with the character and everything. But yeah, I mean, it's really cool how much they've gotten to like cross over into pop music and to even horror films. I think it's really badass for the character's evolution. And I mean, Hello Kitty's just here to say now Hello Kitty is like Mickey Mouse for Japan, essentially. Right. Oh, I mean, uh, no, I mean, anytime there is some kind of Japanese cultural something or other, like, oh, UNICEF wants to do a thing. Oh, Delta Airlines wants to do something. Oh, the Olympics want to do something. You license Sanrio to get a Hello Kitty collab. Totally. To Yeah, no, Hello Kitty is absolutely a vital part of what people have described as Japan's soft power in the global marketplace. I have a few great quotes from Yamaguchi about design process, about you know, about the character and everything. Uh, but that's all I've got, Jake. Do you have any other fun factoids, any other you know thesis statements you'd like to drop as we make our way out of this episode? I just think it's kind of ironic that the Hello Kitty character and the kawaii aesthetic that uh, she established really was about liberation from the uh, harshness and the uh, stern expectations of Japanese youth especially in the era she was created. She is supposed to represent material comfort and uh, cultural uh, uh, expansion and happiness and serenity. And then she gets brought to America and the greater world as this like almost harsh, hyper-color, hyper-pop, candy-colored explosion as like this sensory overload and how that like kind of what Hello Kitty represents is so fascinating in that blank expression you really can project your own dreams and your own desires yeah i love that That, about the character for in japan hello kitty represents an uh, a peacefulness and idleness of a western world and in a in the western world hello kitty represents the sensory delight and constant entertainment of Japanese culture. And that's incredibly just something I never thought about till we had to do this episode. Absolutely. Uh, Yamaguchi had this to say about her relationship with Kitty through the years. In the 1980s, she was my friend. In the 90s, she was my alter ego. And since 2000, she has been my business partner. How can I sell Hello Kitty? I feel like a talent manager. Since the beginning of the 2010s, I felt like the president of a talent management company. We have a few different clients, and Hello Kitty is the one who makes the most. However, I'm always thinking about better ways to sell her. Yamaguchi has this advice to give to young designers. Be interested in different things and see and listen to everything. A person who does not have multiple interests is only drawing, not designing. Mm. They become somebody who just draws and gets stuck. The, to design, you need to be open to all kinds of information and ideas. I think that goes with a lot of different art forms. That's true for stand-up comedy. That's hey, that's true for podcasts. You know what I mean? I mean, it's 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 so many different. You know, because this is an art form, and I think you guys need to be treating us more like artists. By the way, so if you could call refer to me as the artist formerly known as Holden McNeely or the artist formerly known as Gronky, that's completely fine with me. Okay, so just, I would prefer if just you didn't refer to me at all. Yeah, yeah. Just keep my name out of your mouth or zero. <laughs> if you want to call me zero, I have evolved into my new form, so I'd appreciate that. By the way, Jake, that's why my hair is all wavy and purple right now. I, I, you know what? I didn't want to say anything, but before we started recording, I was like, God damn, did Holden break past the limits of the flesh? I clenched my butthole really hard right before we started and changed hair color. And I just, no wonder you're so weird with winning about that stuff. <laughs> we brought it back. Here's a final message from Yamaguchi. Through Kitty, which is a symbol of friendship, we can all be friends. I want her to be a character that encourages people to become friends. Not rivals, but friends whose starting point for friendship is Hello Kitty. I want her to be a link between all people around the world. And I would say the same for the Rick and Morty bong. Can we all <laughs> take a big rip of the of the R&MB and uh, hold hands and, you know, maybe... Uh, 
maybe play with some Hello Kitty coin purses or so. I don't know what I don't know what we're gonna do in the night. But I want you to come over and I want you to be near me, listener, and uh, we're gonna fucking rip it open, dude. I don't know what we're gonna do, but we're gonna rip whatever that thing we do is. We're gonna rip it the fuck open. The, uh, okay, just show up. That's this. This is not an, a command. If you are <laughs> suffering through a psychological crisis and think Holden is talking directly to you, he is not. This is a comedy bit. Just show up. <laughs> just find me. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for Hello Kitty. Uh, I had an excellent time with you, my friend and co-host, Jake. If you'd like to follow us further, having excellent times with each other, check out patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Every single week, we have bonus content where we hang out, shoot the shit, talk about different topics we're trying to talk about these days, the news, all that good stuff, video games, comic books, anime, all of it. Uh, You can join us over there, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. For $15 a month, you can join us every Sunday for a Sunday study session on uh, Discord. This last Sunday, we watched that Toys That Made Us episode. We looked at a bunch of like Hello Kitty cartoons. We have watched that Avril Lavigne music video. It was a blast. Um, So join us over on there. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Also, twitch.tv forward slash Ho. I stream all throughout the week. It's always a good time. Jake joins me for some stuff. And Jake also joins me now every week on Wednesday with Tears of the Cloud. Our tier list stream that's getting funner and more and more fun every week. Lexi always, my wife always uh, corrects me when I say funner. She goes more fun under her breath. And it makes me want to divorce her. But join us over there. Holding, that is going to be less fun. That's going to be less (laughs) fun. That will be less fun. Twitch.tv forward slash last podcast network for our Tears of a Clown stream. It's always a blast. Jake? Gotta press the flesh on that Patreon one more time. It is the best way to help support the podcast. Keep it going. Gets food on the table, keeps the lights on. Also, follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. Follow me on Instagram at Best Jake Young. And I am also doing twitchy stuff. The uh, Thursday Cartoon Dumpster happens every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. That's my VTuber avatar. Don't think about it too hard. We had an amazing time this past week on our spooky Halloween episodes. If you like Mystery Science Theater and eating cereal on the floor, watching Saturday morning cartoons. You will love the cartoon dumpster. Come say hi. Twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. There you have it. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 